Sometimes, um, you know, people ask me about uh, how long it takes to write a Sunday talk. And I'm sure the answer is different for everyone, but for me, I usually start thinking and praying about it about three weeks before. But in the case of today's talk, it was a bit longer than that. Rather than three weeks in the making, it's actually been three years in the making. So at the end of today, you'll either be saying, wow, that was worth waiting for, (laughs) or no wonder you didn't use it three years ago. Now, it's actually a slight exaggeration to say that it's been three years in the making, but I did actually do the first draft three years ago when Lynn and I were in the States to speak at a Vineyard Theology Conference. I've just never used it before today. So what happened was we flew into Charlotte from London and we rented a car to drive to Raleigh where the conference was. And as we were driving along the freeway, we passed a sign for the next exit. And it was for a city called Trinity. Now, because you are a very clever congregation, I know that you're already thinking, ah, yes, the Trinity, I've heard of that, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that is what the talk's obviously going to be about. But no. What was amazing about this road sign that we passed was not the word Trinity, but what it said after that. Welcome to Trinity, a city of vision. This isn't the exact sign that I saw on the freeway, but it says the same thing. Welcome to Trinity, a city of vision. No other sign that we saw on that journey, on our three-hour drive, described anywhere as a city of anything. But what I'd just written a talk about on the plane was being a people of vision. So I took that as being a a little sign from God. Now you may say, well, that's uh, just a coincidence. And maybe it was. But I'm reminded of William Temple, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury in the Second World War. And he said, when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't pray, they don't happen. So despite a three-year delay, even longer than Brexit, (laughs) that is what I want to talk about this morning. Not Brexit, but thankfully, thank God you're thinking, but what it means to be a people of vision. Now I have no idea what being a city of vision means, but I do have a few ideas on what being people of vision means. If you Google the word vision, you find it has two meanings. The first is the obvious, literal one, the ability to see with our physical eyes. But the one that I want us to think about this morning is the other one, the ability to picture the future, to see in our imagination what the future can be like. To have vision is to transcend, to rise above, that which is now, and to start to orientate our lives towards that which we can already see but is not yet visible with our physical eyes. Vision is being able to picture something in our minds and in our hearts that can happen and will happen if we play our part to make it happen. God gives us vision so that we can start to act on it so that we can join him in making it happen. Now, vision is not denying reality in the present, in an escapist sense. Vision is acting with intentionality in the present, in a prophetic sense. Vision is the bridge between the now 
and the not yet of our lives. Vision is what inspires us in life to turn what isn't into what can be. Vision is a passion to give ourselves to bringing something about that we can already see with our spiritual eyes but we can't yet see with our physical eyes. So vision is to be excited. Vision is to be inspired. And when we have that vision from God for our lives, for our church, for his kingdom and for his world, then that vision can be very powerful. To have vision is to want to be a pioneer, not a settler. Because people of vision are never just in maintenance mode. People of vision never say, that's good enough. And they especially never say, it's good enough for church, when they know that God deserves something better. People of vision think that Oswald Chambers' famous phrase, my utmost for his highest, is kind of obvious. And the difference between vision and just wishful thinking is that if we are people of vision, then we begin to act now in the present in ways that are shaped and formed by what can be in the future. To be people of faith is to be people who act faithfully now to a future that we can see, not just to a present that we can see. Vision is what motivates us in life, whether we realise that or not and whether we use that word for it or not. And we see over and over again in life that where people have no vision for themselves or their families or their life situation and where they have no vision for anything that is outside of themselves or beyond themselves, then they're very often depressed and demotivated and feel a sense of emptiness. Because I think God made all of us to be people of vision. Proverbs 29.18 in the King James Version says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And you know, it sounds a bit gruesome, that, doesn't it? Talking about people perishing. But when we have no vision for our lives and no hope for the future, no expectation of what could be and what can be, then it kind of feels like we're perishing. It feels like we're dying inside. But that is not how it's meant to be, because God wants all of us to be people of vision. So a better translation of that verse is, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. In other words, without vision, people are all over the place. They have nothing to keep their lives on track. No markers and boundaries and disciplines to channel the way in which they should go. And, and I often think that one of the easiest ways to grasp what vision is all about is for those of us who are parents or grandparents, the vision that we have for our children and the sacrifices that we're prepared to make to see that vision come about. And what's true of us is equally true of God as our Heavenly Father. He too has a vision for his children. I believe that God has a vision for every single one of us here this morning, whether we realise it at the moment or not. And he has a vision for his church and for his world. And it's a vision that God extends an invitation for us to be part of. So he asks every single one of us the question, 
Do you want to be part of my vision for you? Do you want to be part of my vision for my church? Do you want to be part of my vision for this world? He invites us to have vision for ourselves, vision for his church, vision for his world. So what I'd like to do this morning is to share six things that I think will help us in being people of vision in all of these ways. Now, before you say anything, I know that the classic sermon is supposed to only be three points. But thus saith the Lord, just get over it. So point number one is to be people of vision. My vision must be compatible with God's vision. Because there's all sorts of things that we might have vision for, but they're not necessarily aligned with God's vision. We might have vision to be rich, and famous. We might have vision for a certain lifestyle and possessions, a certain number of holidays, a certain size of house and a certain number of cars, and a certain amount of money in the bank for our rainy day fund. And while I certainly wouldn't rule any of those things out, if they happen, it will almost certainly be as a spin-off benefit rather than because God has decided to join us in our vision to try to make them happen. Because if my vision starts with those things, the danger is that it never moves beyond those things. Because I won't be allowing anything else God wants from me to ever threaten those things. I remember a few years ago, someone said to me, I know that God just wants me to be happy. And that's kind of true because, for sure, he doesn't have a plan or a purpose to make us unhappy. No loving father would ever want to do that. But the lens through which we decide what God is saying to us cannot just be whatever will make me the most happy. And that's because human nature, being what it is, whatever will make me the most happy will lead to me choosing a lot of selfish and self-centered options. You see, God is calling us as his people to be part of the solution to a selfish and self-centered world where our instinctive way of thinking is all about me. So he's not going to indulge us to be part of the problem under the guise of vision. My vision for me must be compatible with God's vision for me. And if they're not, then it's mine that needs to change. God said to Abraham in Genesis 12 2, I will bless you so that you can be a blessing, not just so that you can be blessed. And nothing has changed. Now, for some reason, a few years ago, Lynn bought me a poster. And it said on it, he who dies with the most toys still dies. <laughs> and in the meantime, the only world that we will have changed is our own world. Chris Fallerton from Bethel wrote an article on vision for the Jesus Culture website where he said this, those without vision spend their lives taking the path of least resistance as they try to avoid discomfort. Vision, he said, gives pain a purpose. And it kind of reminded me of what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Rome in Romans 12.1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, 
to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You see, God doesn't want us to say that we'll die for him as a dead sacrifice. He wants us to say that we'll live for him as a living sacrifice. And actually, that can be harder to say, can't it? But we won't be able to do that at the same time as trying to do a swerve around discomfort and taking the path of least resistance. I don't know if you know this or not, but in Bible times, sacrifices were thought of as gifts to God because they cost something. And being a living sacrifice will cost us something as well. You see, Jesus died sacrificially for us so that we would live sacrificially for him. And sacrifices were part of their act of worship, just as taking up a financial offering each week is part of our act of worship, and especially so next Sunday in our Thanksgiving service. And in fact, Paul wasn't saying that sacrifice is part of worship. He was saying that sacrifice is worship, true worship and proper worship. So if we're trying to do a swerve around sacrifice in our lives, then what we're actually doing is a swerve around worship in our lives. So point number one, to be a people of vision, my vision must be compatible with God's vision. Point number two, having vision from God starts with a vision of God. If vision from God is the picture, our vision of God is the picture frame. There's a famous verse on vision and calling where Isaiah hears God say, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? That's Isaiah 6, 8. And he responds, here am I, Lord, send me. But what doesn't always get a mention in that context is the verses that come before it, where Isaiah sees a vision of God. Verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. That was where his calling and vision began. If we are to have vision from God and to have the right vision for God, then it must start with the right vision of God. I always say to people that the main goal of all of our preaching and teaching here is to try to get across who God is and what he's like, how he feels about us, how much he loves us, his kindness, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, and his welcome. These are the things that we lead with. Now, that doesn't mean that we leave out his righteousness, his holiness, and his justice, or our sinfulness, for that matter. But the thing is that the church is too well known for everything it's against and not well enough known for everything it's for. And God is only against things in the first place because they violate and they stop and they damage and they war against the things that he is for. So for us as his church, we think it all starts with our invitation to people to come as you are to start where you're at. Come and fall in love with God here. 
experience his love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and his welcome here. Amongst a group of people who don't always get it right but who are trying their best to model those things because they know that's what God is like. A God who understands our weaknesses and our failings and our mistakes. And he says, that's okay because he has a plan for our life that doesn't just leave us staying that way, staying as we are. In Ephesians 3.18, the Apostle Paul says, I pray that you may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Now, of course, there is other stuff that he wants us to grasp as well. But that has to be our starter for 10. Romans 2.4 says it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. If we misunderstand who God is, we will also misunderstand what he's asking of us. But if we really get who God is, then we will also get what he's asking of us. God doesn't want us to have a fear-centered relationship with him. He wants us to have a love-centered relationship with him. Have you ever noticed that in the Garden of Eden, the first consequence of sin is when Adam says to God, I was afraid of you, Genesis 3.10. That is sin speaking. That is a wrong vision of God speaking because God is not a God of whom we should be afraid. Vision is not just what we see, but it's also the way in which we see. So if we aren't seeing God right, then we're in danger of not seeing our vision right either. Our vision from God becomes clear when our vision of God becomes clear. So point number one, my vision must be compatible with God's vision. Point number two, having vision from God starts with the vision of God. And point number three, to be a person of vision, I need to see myself as God sees me. My vision of me must be in line with God's vision of me. In Romans 12, 3, Paul says, By the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. But for many of us, the problem isn't thinking too highly of ourselves. It's not thinking of ourselves highly enough. When we read in Psalm 139, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. The problem is, For many of us, we don't know that full well. We don't see his works as wonderful when it comes to us. So when we read, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, we think he's talking about someone else. But when we read Psalm 22, where the psalmist says, I am a worm and not a man, I am scorned and despised by all, we say, yes, that's me. Whoever would have thought that you would read someone saying something like that in the Bible? It just shows how it's a real book by real people about real people who feel things like that just as we do and find God in them. Now the reason that this point matters is because if my vision of me is deficient, 
If my vision of me stops short of God's vision of me, then my vision from God will be deficient and stop short as well. Dare I say that for many of us, I think the idea that we are not good enough has been ingrained into us. Low expectations have been ingrained into us. We've confused low self-esteem with humility. Women who've been told that they can't do certain things in church, let alone in life. Shame on men for saying that and for using the Bible to justify it. Men and women who feel there are just too many things stopping them from receiving and acting upon a vision from God for their life. Too many obstacles and barriers. My age, my education, the fact I'm single, the fact I'm divorced, the fact I've got children, my job, my skin colour, the list is never-ending. And that's because Satan's lies that he wants us to buy into are never-ending. So a key truth that we all need to grasp this morning is that with God, all things are possible for all of us. Every barrier can be overcome. Every obstacle can be overcome, except the ones that we insist on clinging to ourselves, the ones that we won't let go of. Because Jesus said that with God, all things are possible. Matthew 19, 26. So to be people of vision, my vision must be compatible with God's vision. Having vision from God starts with a vision of God. I need to see myself as God sees me. And point number four, vision from God is three-dimensional, not one-dimensional. And those three dimensions are his vision for me, his vision for his church, and his vision for his world. You see, I don't think that God will align himself with a vision that I have for my life if it has no space in it for his church and no space in it for his world. These three come as a package and they are not in chronological order. I don't wait for God to fulfill my vision for me before I join in with his vision for his church and his vision for his world. If my vision is one-dimensional, if it's just a vision for me, then it is a vision that is incomplete because God had more to say to me. I just stopped listening a bit too soon. So please don't bypass God's vision for his church and his vision for his world. Please don't think of his church as an optional extra in your Christian life. In Ephesians 5.25, Paul said, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her. So that's how we should be loving the church as well. Many Christians make the mistake of waiting until their vision for themselves is fulfilled. They say, I'll start serving then. I'll start giving then. I just need this to happen and that to happen, and then I will such and such. But you know, that really isn't a vision of God or from God if it doesn't include loving the things that God loves. So for me personally, I don't expect God to bless me if I have no vision for blessing his church and blessing his world as well. If I was God, 
I would send my blessing somewhere else. To people who don't just want to be blessed, but also want to be a blessing just as much. So God has a vision for you, he has a vision for his church, and he has a vision for his world. And that is one vision, not three visions. And it's a vision that God invites all of us to come and to be part of. He asks every single one of us the question, do you want to be part of my vision for you? Do you want to be part of my vision for my church? And do you want to be part of my vision for my world? He says, I want to share my vision with you and invite you to make it your own, to buy into it for yourself and to join me in making it happen. So my vision must be compatible with God's vision. Having vision from God starts with the vision of God. I need to see myself as God sees me. Vision from God is three-dimensional, not one-dimensional. And then number five, I want to go after this, God's vision is present tense as well as future tense. God wants us to be people with vision for the future, but also with vision for the present. Because oak trees come from acorns, don't they? Now the Bible often speaks about the future as if it's the present which can obviously be a bit confusing. But if our vision is from God, then actually it is as if it's already started. In Romans 4.17, it says, God calls things which are not as though they were. Now, of course, we have to be careful that we don't overclaim here or come up with stuff that's just plain stupid and say, I've had this vision from God. And that's one of the reasons why we need to be hearing God together, not just individually. And the bigger the thing, the more I would say that that is true. And it's why Paul in Ephesians 1.17 prays for the Ephesians that God will give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation, not just revelation. Because wisdom is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit as well. Don't let a vision for your future be the enemy of you having vision in the present. Don't just be people who wait and wait and wait. God has a vision for you now, even now, not just a vision for you in the not yet. His vision for you may not be fully revealed yet because vision is more like a, a journey and calling is like a journey. So if you don't know right now what God's vision is for your future, then start joining in with his vision for his future. If you don't know what God's vision is for you, start joining in with his vision for his church and his world. If you have a, a vision to be a pastor one day, start pastoring a connect group. Start living in accordance with being a person of vision now. Start putting in the hard yards now and serving now to help you in getting there from here. Just think how many years and how much work an athlete has to go through before they ever get to that Olympic final that they had a vision for years earlier. So start serving others who are doing now what God has given you a vision to do in the future. Ask them how you can serve them and get rid of vocabulary that says, when this then that.
And then finally, number six, don't let regret for the past, what hasn't been, rob you of the future, what can be and what still will be by the grace of God. Remember that God is the God who calls himself I am. God is God in the present tense. You know, sometimes we have trouble doing this, but God always starts where we are at. Not where we should be, even when it's our fault that we're not. So we must always also start where we're at. Hebrews 8.12 quotes Jeremiah 31. So this is both Old Testament and New Testament thinking. And God says, I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. Now, I am, by nature, very forgetful. I forget things that I'm supposed to remember, like cutting the grass and uh, unloading the dishwasher. But God isn't forgetful in those kind of ways. God is only forgetful by choice. We may struggle to move on, but he doesn't. And that's why we can have hope for ourselves to move on as well, with the transforming power of the Holy Spirit to help us. Because God wants you to move on. Because he doesn't want your past to rob you of your future. It's a future that he still has vision for, and therefore so should we. It's a a bit of a weird story, and we don't have time to go through it now, but if you know the story of Lot's wife in Genesis 19, her whole life crumbled, quite literally, because she insisted on looking back when God had said, don't do that. God wants us to move on. So here's a, a quick last look at all six of my thoughts. You might like to think of this as a kind of a checklist. And then maybe also as a task list. Maybe I can invite you for our homework this week to be to ask ourselves, where am I at? Where is my life at in relation to each of these? And in fact, maybe our homework this morning, um, this isn't quite the right word, but you know what I mean. Maybe in the time that we've got left, we should ask the Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me about this morning? How are you calling me to take action? Is there something that you're asking me to do right now in relation to one of these things? And if there is, we would absolutely love to pray with you about that, to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to speak.